Welcome to Eloquentia Perfecta Ex Machina, a podcast series dedicated to the teaching of rhetoric and composition with and through a variety of media and focused on the writing program at St. Louis University. On this podcast, we interview instructors about how and why they use multimodal approaches, and we have instructors interview other instructors about the nuts and bolts of particular tools and assignments. In this, our final COVID-themed episode, I sat down with Martha Allen, a librarian at Pius Library at SLU, to talk a little bit about how library staff have worked with students and instructors in a year of hybrid writing and research. So hello, I am Sheila Corsi. I am here today um, with Martha Allen, who is a librarian for the Pius Library. Martha, would you like to um, introduce yourself and talk a little bit about what you do? Thanks, Sheila. Yes. Um, hello, everyone. My name is Martha Allen. I am a subject librarian and I am in um, the Department of Research and Instruction Services, which has nine faculty librarians that liaise with different departments throughout the university. I currently am the liaison librarian for the department of the new department. I'm happy to announce the new department of African American studies and also for the School of Education and also the Department of Communication. I have been at the university about oh, 25 years, so I've seen a lot of changes from the, yes, I'm going to say it, the card catalog all the way through <laughs> uh, now to the virtual library and access 24-7. So well, now that today is officially the conclusion of my first year at SLU, I feel like we make a good duo. <laughs> Two very different perspectives. Yeah, the, old, the old and the new. <laughs> so I thought I'd begin by rewinding back to March 2020. Um, we talked to a lot of instructors on this podcast to talk about kind of the big shift I feel like I'm talking about the, the great vowel shift, the great, the great COVID shift of uh, March 2020. So could you talk a little bit about initial measures or um, kind of conversations that were happening at the time when SLU first went um, a remote or online ba back in March 2020? Yes, and I will say, although it seems like 13 months ago, I can remember it like yesterday. Um, and I call the big shift the big pivot. So um, I'm going to talk about the dual natures of libraries right now. Uh, COVID has really put an emphasis on the virtual library, but the physical library is very important as well. In March of 2020, we had students who were um, had come back to empty their dorm rooms. So all of a sudden we had hundreds of library books that were being returned or we had even more library books that students took home with them because they needed them and faculty too for research. So we literally had to renew thousands of library titles and, and not just books, but computers and calculators and journals. So while we were pivoting to this remote environment, we were also in March of 2020 dealing with what do we do with the physical library as well. So by the end of March, physical library closed, we had renewed all the books. And so then we could 
really concentrate on the remote services. And thank goodness the, um, the university was able to push through that purchase of Zoom quickly mm -hmm. because that enabled the librarians to really connect with many of their patrons, whether they were students, undergraduate students, graduate students, or faculty. Librarians have been using online research guides for many years for those patrons who like to use self-guided tools, mm -hmm. finding tools and research tools. And so we had a great library already in place of online research tools that um, students and faculty could use. But then with Zoom and Panopto, we were able to then to create even more digital artifacts, um, either through videos or through Zoom classes. So it, it we were actually quite pleased with how smoothly the transition went. You know, I was I was chuckling a little to myself when you were talking about the the sudden influx of of books that came in. You know, when I when I moved out of Michigan over the summer, um, the Michigan libraries were closed, and so I had to take several books with me to Missouri. Um, and there are a few extremely patient library librarians at the University of Michigan. So shout out to them, um, who have been gently reminding me that when I return to Michigan, which I am in a week, I do still have to give them back a couple of things. I'm surprised they have not taken a bounty out on my head. Um, but I also wanted to talk a little bit about um, your work kind of liaising specifically with English 1900, um, because you were um, kind of my course's librarian um, in the fall for my uh, Medical Humanities English 1900 class. Um, so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about kind of your experience, um, both your kind of past experience kind of um, visiting and talking to or kind of bringing um, English 1900 courses into the library, and then also how that experience has kind of shifted or, or things that you've done anew um, in our kind of remote or hybrid semesters as you are um, kind of working with um, the different English 1900 classes. So historically, when the librarians would work with the English 1900 classes, we would um, have in-person classes and they would be we would try to be as interactive as possible. So the question of how do you make library instruction, which is often uh, not the most engaging pedagogy <laughs> in the world. To librarians, it's the best thing ever. But to many, many students, it's like, how is this meaningful to me? And, and so to, to make it meaningful, for students, it's always fun to work with them one on one. Mm -hmm. And I was concerned that I would not be able to do that in a digital and a virtual environment. And yet, it was so great, Sheila, that you were able to create those breakout rooms. And I found that working with just two or three students in a breakout room was just as satisfying as working with them in person. And I, I found really that for many of those breakout rooms, those virtual breakout rooms, the students seemed 
as much as or more engaged than they would have been in an in-person class. And I was so pleasantly surprised by that. Having said that, there is no way at the time that in the fall when we did that, I could have done that myself. So thank you for your expert um, Zoom abilities because <laughs> there's no, you know, as I would have just been I like, like I we've, we've all become crash Zoom experts in the last couple of months. I, yeah, I remember uh, specifically, I had a couple of students who were really interested in telemedicine in that class um, who talked with you about their kind of projects um, about telemedicine. And ironically, Zoom became a really great uh, <laughs> kind of space through which they could talk about, you know, um, you know, telemedicine and Zoom and kind of the encounters right between patient and doctor um, that happen and what is, po what is newly possible right um through zoom and through telemedicine and the ways in which that can kind of create new new spaces and new conversations um in medicine so it was uh, kind of ironically that the kind of perfect uh, space uh, for them to be interfacing with you about about those research projects and and the great thing is having the students um go through the modules in in a time and, and framework that worked for them, it kind of created a flipped classroom and that mm -hmm. the instruction was already done. And then when we got to the Zoom class, the students, if they had questions, had them prepared already, or it was just, I, I didn't have to do a lot of in, instruction, rather it was more, what do, what do you need? And, you know, what, knowing the topics, what, what resources are going to work better for you. Absolutely. So I know that also, you know, the, the times in which you tend to visit classes is when students are working on their Dissoy Logoi essays, um, which are kind of the, the big first hurdle of English 1900 and often the most difficult assignment uh, because students must kind of research and embody and argue through um, kind of multiple perspectives often on, on quite controversial issues. Um, so I, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about kind of shepherding students or offering students guides or resources um, that allow them to kind of navigate that process of, of finding accurate and uh, kind of verifiable sources um, that, that kind of speak to those perspectives, even when they are kind of researching um, uh, uh, kind of perspectives that they, they personally disagree with. So, yeah, well, it's, that is the, one of the million dollar questions right now is how do we evaluate um, sources that are mm -hmm. out there? And especially because and, and I'm guilty of this myself. When we do research, we tend to gravitate towards opinions or, or, or viewpoints that we agree with. <laughs> it's, it's so easy to, to get into uh, an information silo. And so how do you break out of that silo? Well, hopefully by showing students that there are different resources that you can go to and, and find out the difference between an opinion versus research versus or a, a research article versus a transcript of an interview. And what I found that seemed to work well virtually was because you can share your screen so easily in Zoom, it's, it was great to do one-on-one -on -one sessions where the student would be able to see exactly 
the process of finding different resources. And I found that just everyone in general would, would really love the research process to be a linear process. I need A, I'm going to go to B, and then I'm going to get C. But when you, when a, when a librarian like myself shares the screen and we use the student's topic, hopefully the student can see that I don't go directly from A to B. I may go to A, A1, A2, A3, then get to B, then maybe go back to A. <laughs> and it's a very circuitous journey, mm -hmm. not this linear one. So um, I hope that was useful in helping students understand um, how to find different things. And then once you've found a result, it may cause you to reconsider what your topic is or and and maybe redo a search. So hopefully um, that makes sense. No, absolutely. I, I've also found, yeah, sharing screens and kind of modeling the research project. I am I am definitely the kind of person who minds other people's footnotes um, and citations and showing that process of like, I am just gonna follow this one citation down or, you know, down down a pathway and then I'll come back to the original article and then keep reading it, right? So it's it can be quite uh, as you said, circuitous and rhizomatic um, in ways that I think um, it's easiest for students to understand when they see us doing it um, and when they see us kind of modeling our practice. Practices, which is something that perhaps wasn't um, wasn't as easy to do when we weren't kind of constantly screen sharing. Right, and and it's you know it's boring to watch someone like me go through a canned search because I know what the results are. I yeah, it it, it it's not real life. <laughs> it's not. It doesn't. It's not illustrative of what happens in when you actually start doing a research project. So I, tr I always, I love using student topics and thank you for providing them because, and, and I love to go into it cold because I don't want, I, I want the students to see it can be easy, it can be very difficult and you have to just constantly reassess what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. No, I, I had a similar conversation with them. I think one of my favorite conversations of that fall uh, um, 2020 semester was a conversation about kind of information systems and note taking, which sounds like the absolute driest module <laughs> um, that you could teach in, in, in that class. But I kind of brought in, I said, okay, so I have, you know, I've done obviously big research projects before. That's kind of my job. Um, you know, I wrote a dissertation. And so I talked a little bit about, so here are different kinds of systems of note taking um, that I used or kind of citation management and here why here's why this works for me here's the kind of funny way that my brain organizes information <laughs> here is why i use color coding or here's where i take longhand versus typed notes um and students really got into that and kind of sharing their own experiences of oh actually like i couldn't structure it like this because i need to be able to kind of cross check this information um or here's my experience where i have kind of um, hit a wall when it comes to storing and managing citations um so i think there is um, something really vibrant um, and, and personal about those conversations when it comes to the research process or the note-taking process or the citation process. Um, you just kind of have to get over the hump, I think, of, of, of student student withdrawal when it comes to, oh, I don't think, I don't think that conversation will be interesting to me. Yeah, and, and 
I always like to say there's more than one path to nirvana. And, and as you mentioned, research, the research process, it's, it's such a personal process. And um, what works for me won't work for you necessarily, Sheila. And, but that, that discovery of what, what steps really produce results for me or are meaningful to me. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful exercise in self-awareness, I think. No, it is, it is a very interesting kind of cross-section of your brain. It feels very personal to share <laughs> when you start talking about, okay, so this is this is how I go about the process, right? This is kind of the weird back alleys in my mind that I take when I need to, when I need to find information out um, about, about a particular element. I also wanted to ask you a little bit about kind of looking forward to the fall semester where I think we are going to be kind of at least more in person um, than we were before, if still perhaps in a more flexible hybrid format. Are there things that you think the library will keep about um, some of the some of the things that is adapted to remote instruction or kind of new kind of digital archives? Are there things you think are going to be really important to uh, to hold on to when it comes to access, when it comes to um, kinds of instructional resources? Um, yes, and thank you for that question because <laughs> there the I I I will say the libraries like the university will never be the same. And that and that's a good thing because we have learned that we can pivot and we have learned that there are things we can do virtually that are very successful. I'm going to give you an example. We had we just hired a new STEM librarian, much like you, Sheila. She started in in uh, well actually our new STEM librarian started in March of 2020. She was, on, <laughs> she was on, bless her heart, she was on campus for a week and then was told, you know, you need to, to pivot remotely, to shift to a remote environment. And she was, she was able to accomplish things virtually that no librarian, no STEM librarian has been able to do in person. And one of the things was, uh, many incoming freshmen take uh, a biology course at, by hundreds and hundreds of students. And we, the librarians have never been able to figure out a way to get into the lab section of these biology courses because there are so many labs. Megan was able to create modules much like the English 1900 modules that were created, and I have to give credit where credit is due. Jamie Emery, oh yes, and did an excellent job. Rebecca Hyde, Lori Kupsky, they worked. They they put together that English 1900 module in record time, and it's an excellent, excellent module. So I, I want to make sure I give a shout out to them. We couldn't have done it without their their dedication and hard work, and and it was such a successful um, project. Um, but Megan did a similar project with creating modules for biology labs. She was able to reach 700 students with these modules that we could never have done in person. So yes, we will definitely continue that. Rebecca Hyde, who was critical on the um, English 1900 section, is now doing the same thing for 
social work and um, the social work graduate program. And Rebecca has also mentioned that she had her individual one-on-one -on -one Zoom consultations far outnumber the in-person one-on-one consultations she used to have. So I think it's this point that librarians can meet students at their point of need when they need to. Um, and that's opened up a, a huge treasure chest of possibilities for connections that we weren't able to have before. So we will definitely be continuing um, creating digital artifacts and uh, being open for Zoom consultations. Mm -hmm. Those were tremendously successful over COVID and I see no reason to stop those to keep going with that. Yes, and I imagine that's also particularly accessible for students who are working right um, as they're in school, right, or, or might not otherwise have time to kind of come into the physical space of the library. I know I definitely experienced that while having uh, my own kind of Zoom office hours, which I would still like to have actually in the fall, just because I was able to kind of meet with students while they were driving or while they were in kind of liminal spaces of kind of between work and, and school or kind of where they were in their houses. And it became, you know, I got to have conversations that I could have or reach out to students who might not have the time to kind of trundle into a door and talk to me in my office. Um, as lovely as it would be to meet face to face, I think, yeah, there, there's a lot of really important conversations about accessibility um, to be had and trying to prevent all of that kind of from from being taken away from a lot of students as we transition more back to face to face instruction. We have been able to uh, make new new connections with our librarians and our students in Madrid, which is great. <laughs> and other international students that may not even be in the country that we are still able to meet one on one through zoom and help. So yeah, it's very exciting. And yes, our students are super duper busy. They, they, they have so many activities, they have work, they have school, they have extracurricular activities. And so yes, it's, it's, it's easier now, easier now more than ever to connect with your liaison librarian. We are here for you. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Martha, for sitting down with me. This has been, um, I think, the perfect COVID episode to, to finish the season with. Is there anything else you'd like to add or plug for the library, perhaps, before we, before we close out this episode? <laughs> well, I do want to just mention that the library has been open. Um, you know, we closed in, in March 2020, but we did open again in August of 2020, and we have remained open. We will be open throughout the summer, but it doesn't matter whether you wanna come, you know, please feel free to physically come to the library. We love to see students and faculty in the library, but the virtual library is alive and well, <laughs> and we will see you in the library, whether it's in person or virtual, we are here for you and we are thrilled that you're using the resources. involved in this podcast series to share an assignment or tool or to pitch an interview please contact me at sheila.corsi at slu.edu
Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. 